We'll continue the new teaching series, God. Thanks again for joining us today. As Hannah mentioned, we began an audacious uh, message series last Sunday simply called God. How do you get your head around the concept of God? A blessing for us is that God wants to reveal himself. He wants us to know what he's like. And and there's one encounter we've been looking at with Moses where Moses is called a friend of God. And, and, And Moses finally says to God, I really... I've allowed you to know a lot about me. You know my name. You know what I'm like. But God, you've really not told me much about yourself. I don't even really know your name. Would you give me your name? Would you tell me about your character? And then God reveals himself in this incredible passage in Exodus 34. In fact, I'd like to read this. I want to ask you to stand in reverence for God's word. Exodus chapter 34. Listen to God's description of himself. This is the most quoted verse passage in the Bible, okay? The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. Their entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generation. You may be seated. I love that passage, and we're not getting very far in it today. In fact, we're going to look at the first two words. And in the original language, what it says is Yahweh, Yahweh. Now, last week we discovered that Yahweh is the personal name for God. Dan was making fun of me calling Stephanie the wife. That's as if you're calling God, God. That just tells you his function. It's not his name. And my wife prefers to be called Stephanie and not the wife. I found that out last Sunday, okay? So when it comes to God, the personal name for God is Yahweh. But the weird thing, if you're really paying attention to these verses, is it's said twice. Now, your English version actually messes this up because it says Yahweh Lord. Listen to me. Anytime you see L-O-R-D capitalized, it really should say Yahweh. Now, why is it said twice? Let me tell you. I think, first of all, it's said twice because God is personal and he's distinctive. Okay, what are you saying, buddy? I'm saying, first of all, God wanted you to know him and to know his very name. He wants a personal relationship with you. But it's also said there to distinguish God Buckle up, guys. Buckle up what I'm about to say. Distinguish God from other gods. You say, are there other gods? You're kidding me, buddy. I I thought there's only one true God. And that's true to a point. But the Bible also talks about other gods and never says they're fake or they're not real. In fact, this morning, we're going to look at lots of Scripture. And uh, here's what I want to challenge you to do as we look through all this. Don't be too far down in the weeds, okay? Because what I want you to see this morning is more the concept than get down in the weeds and try to figure all this out. I, I don't have it all figured out. But I do know there's something that God is trying to say to us. So let's start talking about God. Here's the first verse about God, Genesis 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We don't realize what a staggering claim that was 4,000 years ago. 
All the ancient cultures believed not in God, but in all of these gods. And they all had creation stories. And most of their creation stories, the earth was created because of a conflict between the gods. For instance, one story is there's a male god, there's a female god, they get in a fight, the male god kills the female god and uses her corpse to create the world. And so we come to Genesis 1, this was radical. There's a one true God who created everything. And so the world is not born out of a conflict between warring gods. It's born out of a God who loves his creation, who wants to be close to it. Now go to another passage, Exodus chapter 12, verse 12. Context, this is when the 12, the 10 plagues are happening in Egypt for God to release his people. Now listen to what it says. On the same night, God says, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. And I will bring judgment, hold on, on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. That's Yahweh. I am Yahweh. Now what's happening here? When God mentioning these other gods, he didn't say, well, here's all these Egyptian gods, but they're really not. They're fake. He says, um, these guys are real. In fact, if you watch through the plagues, you know, God's able to do some amazing thing. Moses has a staff. He throws it down, and it turns into a snake. Now, here's what I've never been able to get a handle on. The Egyptian magicians throw their staff down. It becomes a snake. Moses is able to call upon God to turn the Nile River into blood. Sounds pretty impressive. The Egyptian magicians do the same, almost on all of these. It's not until Moses asked God to create all these gnats all over the world, could they not do it? Maybe there's just something about gnats. What do you think? So here we have God saying, we've got these other gods. And they seem, at least by the story, if you can take it to face value, to have power. In fact, let's look at another story here. Let's look at 1 Kings chapter 11. And you remember this story where Solomon... Wives begin to influence him to do things he shouldn't do. Look at verse 4. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after, here we go again, other gods. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord. His God is the heart of David, his father, had been. He followed Ashereth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely there's Yahweh, as David, his father, had done. Now, what's going on here? He names these gods, and he says they're over different nations. Ashereth was the god of Sidon. That's modern-day Lebanon. Molech was the god of Ammon, which is modern-day Jordan. And so Solomon gets involved with these other gods. He's still involved with Yahweh, but he's also involved with these other guys and every gods and everything goes downhill. Now, if you really want to look at a challenging, almost disturbing passage with me, go to Psalms 82 and let's just walk through that together. Listen to what it says. God presides in the great assembly. He renders judgment among the gods. Many translations translate this, God presides over the council of the gods. Then he talks about them. 
How long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? Defend the weak and the fearless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. You want to know when other gods are working, you look at when people are treated unjustly. When people are treated with prejudice. When people are judged without really knowing what's going on. He says that's what the other gods cause. But then listen to what God says. The gods little g, know nothing. They understand nothing. They walk about in darkness. All the foundation of the earth are shaken. I said, you are God. You're all sons of the most high, but you will die like mere mortals. You will fall like every other ruler. What does God say about these other gods? You're going down. So some people make this distinction. I think it's a good way to look at it. God, Almighty God, Yahweh, is capital G-O-D. God, these other gods are a, not capital, but lowercase G-O-D. So let me, let me try to define this for you. Again, I'm not asking you to agree with me today. I'm just asking you to think. How would we define all this talk about gods all over the Old Testament? And I've just barely touched the hem of the garment. The gods, here we go, they're an invisible but real spiritual being with power over geographic regions. The Bible never says they're not real. They display power all over the place. And it seems, like we saw back with Solomon, they are over different geographic regions. Now, if you want to blow your mind, read this afternoon from Daniel chapter 10. Daniel's been praying about something. God sends an angel to answer his prayer, but when the angel shows up, the angel says, I'm sorry I'm so late. Daniel's been waiting 21 days for the angel to come, and when the angel comes, the angel literally says, the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me for 21 days. In other words, I'm late because I face one of these geographic gods over Persia. Because I admit that's hard for me to understand. In fact, I think the Apostle Paul struggled with this a little bit. Uh, we don't have time, but if you're taking notes, write down 1 Corinthians 8, verses 4 through 6. Because Paul there almost contradicts himself. He talks about the so-called gods, and then a verse or two later he says, but indeed they are real gods. How do we put this together? It's the best way I can. The Bible uses lots of different words to describe these gods. Look at these other names with me for a second. Uh, princes, demons, powers, principalities, rulers, authorities, evil spirits. Again, that's just the beginning of the list. But those are a lot of different names because when we get to the New Testament, besides that one passage where Paul talks about gods, you just don't see it. But you do see all of these descriptions and about a dozen more. And I think they're all talking about these evil, dark powers. Now, if you're like me and you're not real comfortable with calling them gods, then just choose one of these. Because my point this morning is not whether you want to call them gods or demons. I don't even have Satan's name up here. It belongs up there. Or the devil. What you want to call it is up to you. The Bible gives you lots of options. But the point I am seeking to make this morning is that you and I need to be aware that in this world we live in, there are dark spiritual forces. 
Now look at a couple other terms Paul uses, other names. Spiritual forces of evil. That says it pretty well. Another term, powers of this dark world. So we got a mess on our hands. We got this world, we got Almighty God, and we got this competition with all these other gods and all these other spiritual forces. You probably feel it. And guys, that helps us understand why Jesus came. Now, last week, we made the point that Jesus came to clearly reveal God. You will know what God's like. Look at Jesus. This week, I would say, God also sent his son Jesus to this earth to destroy the power of those gods. Let me just show you that in, past, in different passages. Mark chapter 1, Mark right off the gate in his gospel says, So Jesus traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Okay? Acts chapter 10, Luke says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under, under what? The power of the devil, because God was with him. Listen to what John says. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil's been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Wow. Pretty clear, isn't it? Jesus came to get this under control and to defeat the power of Satan. And it all climaxed on the cross. Listen to what Colossians 2 says. And having disarmed the powers and authorities... He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. What's he saying? It's the cross where he brought them down. Because on the cross, not only did Jesus defeat the other gods, he defeated death itself. I love this language here. He made a public spectacle of them. Would you like someone to make a public spectacle of you? This is what this sounds like to me. God scored the touchdown, and he spiked the ball in the end zone, all right? Because he had defeated them. It's amazing. Now, I want you to stick there with me just for a second and consider the following three words. Christ is victorious. Now, in the history of Christianity, when it comes to the cross, the most popular metaphor of the cross is what I've just read you. It, what it's called is Christ is victorious. In other words, guys, one of the great purposes of the cross was to defeat the devil. Now, the metaphor you and I use that's been used most since the Reformation is Jesus was a substitutionary atonement. What does that mean? Jesus, we always say this, he took our place on the cross. He took our sins, they were put on him, he paid the price to forgive us. I believe that's true. I think the Bible teaches that. But for the first 1,500 years of Christianity, that was not a real popular metaphor. The most popular metaphor is that Christ was victorious over the evil and darkness. So guys, here's what you've got to claim this morning. Not only has Christ come to forgive you of your sins, but he's come to allow you to overcome these dark forces. It's an incredible story. Here's the way I like to describe it. We live, some of you in history, you'll understand this. We live between D-Day and VE Day, okay? What's VE Day? Victory in Europe. What was D-Day? D-Day, June the 6th, 1944, it's when the Allied forces went to the beaches of France. That was a big deal. And so 
once they land on those beaches, guys, everybody really knew the war was over. I mean, Hitler's in trouble. He, he's not going to be able to recover from this. And so it, it was very obvious the war was over, but the truth was it took another year to get to Berlin, okay? And, and then in Berlin, we have victory over Europe. It's completed. And here's what I want you to understand this morning. At the cross, Jesus had victory over the dark forces. They've been handcuffed. But between now and when Jesus comes back, we live in between that victory and the final victory that happens at the second coming of Jesus. Do you get that? So, guys, that, that, that's what makes sense. Please, I hope you get I asked that and nobody said one person. Do you get that? I mean, some of the rest of you that are asleep, do you get that? Just act like it. I'll feel better, okay? Because this is what's going to make you understand why this place is such a difficult place to live. Because we live in between those times. And I believe that's what Scripture truly teaches. Well, let's get to the end of our lesson then, okay? You're going to ask with me at this point, okay, but that's a lot of Scripture. That's a lot of information to give today. So what? What's the big deal about this? Because this, this is big. I'm going to give you three reasons to close out. Number one, it helps me understand the evil in this world. One of the greatest objections to belief in God is what is commonly called the problem of evil. If God is all-powerful and all-knowing and all-loving, how in the world can there be so much evil in this world? The answer from what we studied is that there are other forces in this world. And what the Bible assumes is that you and I live in this war zone, this cosmic war zone. So, guys, so you get to Scripture, it assumes there's bad stuff going on. In the model prayer, Jesus said, okay, buddy, here's the way you ought to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, what? As it is in heaven. Think about that. That, that, that line assumes a lot. Here's what it assumes. God's will is always done in heaven. God's will is sometimes done on the earth. What's it dependent on? Us asking God to invade. So there are other forces that make this world a pretty crazy place. So don't blame God. Blame these demons and devils, these gods. Number two, it keeps me from being blind to dark forces. Here's what the Apostle Paul said about this. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Here's what you got to see this morning. And, and again, I, I know there's lots of interpretation about everything I've said, but, but at a minimum, we see there are incredibly powerful demonic forces on the earth. If you don't see this, you are opening your life up to disaster. If you're blinded to that, then you are completely vulnerable to Satan's attacks, and he's going to take advantage of it. So we can't be blind. Now, here's our problem. We live in Western culture. In Western culture, we've psychoanalyzed everything, and we've decided there's a reason for everything that happens, and we, we, we discount this. When you go to Eastern cultures, or like where our missionaries are, guys, they encounter this all the time. So I emailed our missionaries and asked them, tell me some stories about encountering this. 
They said when someone becomes a new believer in Christ, one of the first things they do is they look over a list and pray through curses and vows that have been made in their life. Because in other cultures, people, when they don't like you, they call a curse on you. And really power behind that. They also look over their lives at charms, witchcraft, horoscope, fortune tellers, even Ouija boards. And say, have you been fooling with those things? Because behind those things, they believe they're demonic forces. So they have to go through that. And here's what Ann said. You always love what Ann says. She said, one of the most beautiful and amazing things I get to witness in Turkey is the joy of watching a person who finally realizes they have a power within them because of Jesus Christ that will stop the harassment of the demons. Anybody feel harassed this morning? You may not label it right, but you're harassed. Kevin Linderman wrote me some things from Tanzania, and I, I wish I had a little more time to talk about it. But he talks about the Sakuma religion, which they're dealing with there. It is based on manipulating spiritual forces with witchcraft and sorcery. And he tells some incredible stories of facing that. You see, in other parts of the world, they don't discount that the way we do. Now, here's what I want you to know. There's more going on than you can see. There's some problems in our world today that I think we attribute to the wrong places. You know there are more and more slaves in our world today with this global economy so that you can buy a microwave for $60. There are slaves around the world making those microwaves so we get it cheap. Guys, I think there are demonic forces behind that. There are 22 million, we live in a sex-obsessed world, there are 22 million sex slaves that are being trafficked in the world. I think it's more than what we see. This week, over the last two weeks, we've seen all these shootings in California. We see that young man beaten basically to death on the streets of Memphis. I'm telling you guys, I think there's more than meets the eye. Behind these things are demonic, devilish forces that are causing these things to happen. They don't just happen. You think about the incredible porn addiction in our world today. Can you tell me there's not some forces behind that? It's destroying people and marriages. Drug addictions, many of you have fought that in this audience. Guys, I'm telling you, that's why you always say in AA, we've got to go to the higher power. And guys, here's what we know today. The higher power has a name. It's called Yahweh. And he has more power. Now, let me get real personal here if y'all are okay with this. I've struggled my whole life with sleeping. My mind just buzzes. I've always had a hard time getting to sleep. But over the last six months, it's gotten really, really worse. I can get to sleep, but I can't stay asleep. And it's, it's really bothering me. I'm just not getting much good sleep. Now, let me just be honest. My first response to that, because I'm a Westerner like you, is to go, it must be a psychological reason, buddy. Let's look into that. Or it's probably a medication issue. 
Because I'm not discounting those things. I, th- I think they could be a part of it. But here's what I don't do that I should do. It may be an s- attack from the evil one. That's what should be first on my list. I don't know where you're feeling attacked. I don't know where you're feeling harassed. But I would say to you, you probably need to look further than what you're looking. If you believe what we're saying here today. Let me make the last point. Number three. So what? It motivates me to choose the one true God. There's no other God in position, power, or love that compares to the one true God. And the challenge of all these scriptures is for you to choose him over all the competing little g gods. Now, here's something that really strikes me in studying this. When you go back to Solomon and all those guys... Did Solomon say, Yahweh, I don't want anything to do with you. I'm going to go follow the Moabite God only. No, no, no. It was never Yahweh or the Moabite God. Solomon said, I want to follow Yahweh and the Moabite God. And guys, you've got to understand, God, Satan is not going to tempt you today to shake your fist at God and say, I don't want anything to do with you. But what he is going to do is to convince you to add another God on the same level that will, like Solomon, lead to disaster. So guys, here's what I believe. There's a choice to be made. On planet Earth, until Jesus comes back and all the forces of Satan are finally defeated, God's giving you a choice. Guys, the way I read the Bible, almost every few verses imply choice. And here's what God has chosen to do. God has chosen not to force you to follow him. He could have. God has chosen to not overwhelm you, so you must follow him. Why would he do that? Because God actually wants a love relationship with you. And love can never be forced. He wants you to choose him. And I'm challenging you and I today. Are we choosing God? Are there other forces that are dominating our life? Now we're going to do the best thing we could do right now. And that's to pray to Yahweh God. So I want to invite all the shepherds and their wives and ministers and their spouses. If they would all come surround the stage, there may be a a couple back in some of the corners to pray with you. But as we're about to sing, I want to give you this opportunity. Do you feel under spiritual attack? Either you walked in this place and you already knew it and I didn't have to say it. Or you might be more like me. You just, you didn't recognize it. I mean, look at this quotation up on the screens. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled off was convincing the world he didn't exist. So this morning, if there's some things going on in your life that you need to be prayed for, Zane and Cheryl are back here. We got Gail back there. We got these guys also around. Just come up to one of these people. Tell them your name and tell them what you're battling. I'm telling you, in just a moment, I'm going to someone about my sleep patterns. Because I think there's more than what I've looked at. And this morning, I challenge you, you don't have to say something out loud in front of the whole church. Just go to one of these people. And let's do what Jesus said. Let's pray. Whatever's your will in heaven, it's always good. May it be done on this earth. 
As last week we said to you, Yahweh God wants a relationship with you more than anything else. Today I'm saying to you, the dark forces don't want you to have it. So today, would you choose for us to ask God to intervene in what's going on in your life? What a great opportunity for you to walk out of here. Let's stand and sing, come and pray if you feel that need. Uh, Brother Jimmy Dobbs can come up and join me. We're going to talk about some things leading to communion. Before we do, though, I've got a a note from Howard and Donna Todd that I want to read to you. After 50 years living here in Montgomery, we are relocating to Columbia, Tennessee to be near our grandchildren on February 7th. We've been a part of the Landmark Church the last 18 years. Landmark will be one of the biggest things we will miss as we seek a new church home in the Nashville area. We, sh- we appreciate the shepherding wisdom of the elders, the spirit and heart of our worship, and the feeding and challenge from our pulpit. It'll be a hard act to follow. Because we have deep roots here, it will not be easy to make our transition. So we solicit your prayers. But more than anything else, we pray that Landmark will continue to make a difference in this community and across the world. God bless you, Howard and Donna Todd. I've got to say a little bit more than that. Howard and Don have been here in 50 years. Many of you have been molded and blessed by their ministry at starting the old Lakewood Church, Vaughn Park, and now here at Landmark. These guys have made an amazing impact. Howard's been, they've been 50 years. Don has worked at Baptist Hospital for 45 years. Would you guys stand so we can thank you for the difference you've made in our life? Okay, guys, um, next Sunday's Mission Sunday, so Brother Jimmy's been very involved from the beginning in MVT. Before we get and talk about mission work, just for a second, how have you encountered across the world, because you've been in different cultures, just give us a little bit about this darkness and how you've seen it. You see it just almost every place I've been. Um, Malawi, although it's a nation that is relatively high percentage of Christians, um, maybe the highest in Africa, yet it still flourishes there. Um, you, even though there's belief in God, there are the little shrines in so many of the little houses, in front of so many of the front yards where people continue to give obeisance to other powers, even their, their cemeteries, their woods all around, and they they are thinking about dark powers and how they function. I was talking to Eric between the services, and he said, yeah, lots of folks have to get permission from the witch doctor to come to the hospital lest they make him mad. Uh, and in Tanzania, Kevin and I were traveling one day between villages and came on this huge gathering, and it was a special service where twins were being admitted into a secret society that was all about the powers of darkness and placating the the gods, if you will, and so it's just it's prevalent. It's there uh, because they recognize what's going on, perhaps more clearly than we do yeah. in this society. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, Landmark, it's a next Sunday will be a real celebration. We've been involved in Malawi, Africa, for twenty years, and uh, Jimmy's been a big part of that. Travels there a lot. Uh, I'd like you just to tell us about what made our heart go to. Malawi, this impoverished country in the middle of Africa, and what's kept us there? 
When we first got there, we found this country that is, as you say, impoverished, and every year they, they deal with m- malaria, malnutrition, other diseases. And when HIV-AIDS swept through, it was compounded the, the problem already. So that when we came, out of 11 million people, they estimated maybe a million were orphans. Uh, whole villages were disappearing because of it, and it's a country with virtually no medical services or infrastructure. And so first year we went, there was already a little clinic that, that was there that we joined our, our, our energies with them. We also met, though, a Mr. Napoleon Zombe, who was a chief, but he was also a Christian man that wished to, uh, is his picture here, he's, uh, you can tell which one's him. Um, and... Um, there. He is sitting just to my right. Mm. Just an amazing man that we've been able to partner with in God taking what he could give and do and what we could bring and, and do some amazing things with the partnership. And, and so we entered into the medical ministry, helping that, pushing that forward. But fairly soon thereafter, Mr. Zombe wanted to build an orphanage because of all the orphans. And so um, family here, part of our body that had a uh, family Foundation provided most of the funding to, to put that orphanage in place, Tendary Village, place of peace. And, uh, and so we've, it, it met our desires to show the love of Jesus as we went to the whole world. And this was a place where our brothers and sisters were hungry. They were, had no medical care. We could bless them, but also bless the whole community. And so it was exactly the place where we could let God work through us to do amazing things. So we've been involved with the orphanage, with Blessings Hospital, which has become an amazing place, and then a school that was formed. Right. So tell us a little bit about how COVID sort of changed the trajectory of some of our ministry coming out of that. Well, let me start with Blessings Hospital. I forgot to even mention this story in first service, but when COVID hit, Malawi is a country with virtually no medical resources, but as God would have it, about four years before COVID hit, he had brought the possibility to Landmark, some of our, well, to Chikandi Health Foundation that works with the Blessings Hospital, includes some of our folks on the board. West Gun is still involved. And he shipped, had us ship over there 40,000 plus N95 masks. Hmm. And so in the whole continent of Africa, they had almost no N95 masks, but our hospital... God had provided 40,000 masks that we could continue to function right through the COVID and even share with the hospitals around there. And so Blessings Hospital continued to minister right straight through and expand their services. Just this last year, we had between 45 and 50,000 patient visits. But most of those were not in the hospital. They were in the villages where we leveraged the hospital and what it was doing to be able to deliver those services out there to the people who had no medical care. And so just amazing things happening through the hospital. At Tendere Village, we were already dealing with new government policies about reunification, sending kids, when they were able, back to families and village and preparing them for that, what we would do here in America. Um, and so we, as COVID hit, we paused new admissions as we reworked policies, uh, as we upgraded the facility, got new training for our house moms about how to better do that and how to embrace that philosophy. And so we've opened up admissions again and we're serving more kids now. But in the process, the school has grown. We now serve not only our kids at Tendary Village, but over 300 kids from the community. And so as we embrace Vaughn Road Elementary here, is it elementary? Halcyon. 
Halcyon. Ah, I get that wrong. <laughs> it's okay. It's similar to what we're doing there. Bless the community. And the school is not just a little school. It's, it's not that big from a number standpoint, but it's an excellent school. We added two more buildings last year to be able to move toward accreditation. But even already, when we had the national test, which is part of the British kind of system of schooling, we had 85% pass rate for our kids, which is extremely high there. And so, yes, you can clap. So Tendere Village is not just blessing the kids that need care, but the children in the village around us. And during 2023, we're going to be using this year to prepare those services and, and envision programs that we can deliver in the villages where they're going back to so that our kids as they're reunified can be served and their families blessed there. So tremendous amount of good things coming out of COVID as we come out of it. So as always, God is doing more than we could ask or imagine in Malawi, but I want you to tease us a little bit about what we're going to hear next week about Tanzania because we've been involved there too. Okay, so if you haven't heard already, Kevin Linderman, our former missionary there, and his daughter Mariah, which the last I saw her, she was that tall, but I think she's more like this tall now, um, is going to be with us. And um, we perhaps have not done the congregation justice the last few years in talking about when Kevin and Charity came home, the ministry didn't stop, you understand, because their whole point in going, they were the second wave of missionaries among the Chewa tribe, among the Sakuma tribe there in Tanzania. And they were building on what was already there, planting new churches, yes, but growing leadership. And so even after they've gone, the work in the ministry has continued to grow. We were afraid it might pull back before it went forward, but it didn't. Actually, it went forward more quickly after we left. Uh, But they still need our blessing. They still want to be connected with us. They're very relational people. Kevin still goes over there annually. And to be honest, we've, we've been doing things even the last three or four years since Kevin left. The last couple of years, we helped them in the construction of a ministry building that, that where they can do minister training, leadership training, and use it to launch out and do more works in the community. And so when Kevin's here next week, he's going to be talking about some amazing additional ministries that they have envisioned and put in place and are beginning to do that we can help them with, with our resources. While the church is shrinking in America, it's exploding in Tanzania. It is. so exciting. Yeah, they have planted churches since we left, and it's second and third generations doing the planning, which is exciting. Yeah. Guys, I hope you're catching this. Uh, We'll we'll hear more about this next week, but uh, Jimmy, what I'd like you to do before we take communion together You've been across the world. You've taken communion in all kinds of settings. What perspective is that giving you about what we're about to do? Well, you know, so often the um, the imagery, the, the the thought, the the things that we focus on. So often, I saw in first service, picture of the cross is on the hill, and we think about the blood, the redemption, uh, victory over darkness. And all those things are entirely appropriate. We should be thinking about those things. But so often when I do communion, I think about this picture that I see in Revelation 7. I'll read just a few verses. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And then a little bit later. 
These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, there before the throne of God and serve him day and night in the temple. He who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. And those things resonate for the people in those nations. The sun will not beat down on them nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb and the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And so I think about when we come together before the table... Yes, focus on the cross in Jesus, but remember that we have brothers and sisters around the world, China, Guatemala, Tanzania, Malawi, Turkey. Now we saw the young man last week that had come to know Jesus conquered darkness in his life. And so I rejoice every week to think there'll be a day when the praise and the worship will be far beyond what we've ever imagined, but it will be with every tribe, nation, and tongue, people that we, God gave us the privilege of being his partners and carrying that good news of Jesus. And those very people will stand there with us in that day. And that's, that's, that's real joy. And that's an amazing picture. It and is. So, brothers and sisters, as we take communion, and if you're new with us, we have tables scattered out through the worship center where you can go and get uh, the bread and the cup and take that, take it by yourself, take it with somebody, but let's understand that there's more going on here than meets the eye. Let's pray together. Father, as we remember Jesus and what he did for us on the cross, his victory over sin and over Satan, God, help us to realize that we're a part of a worldwide fellowship. This beautiful picture from Revelation 7 that will be fulfilled in heaven, but is already being fulfilled right now Amen. on the first day of the week. Bless our time of communion. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.